Today, we're talking about come back from failure. Come back. Uh, last week, come back to prayer. I pray, oh Lord God Almighty, that all of us who are, uh, have been impacted and we've come back to prayer, we've realized that Jesus is coming back and a few weeks ago, we talked about Activate Faith. Uh, a couple of weeks before that, Pastor Johnny had an incredible message on, on happy. And so, uh, the Word is here to fill your heart, to change your life, to challenge you in every area. So, come back from failure. Um, I, I didn't ask this in all the other services, but you're special. Um, in a funny kind of way. All right, so anyway... Uh, you're special. Let, let me just add, how many of you have ever in your life failed? Can I see your hand? I would like to know if you have not failed. Please raise your hand. You have never failed, not once. And a woman is grabbing her husband's arm, pulling it down from where it should not be. All right? So anyway, failure is everywhere. We have all failed. We have all sinned. So there is failure, that is sin. So we've committed sin. I got saved at the age of 19. If you ask me, had I sin have I sinned since 19? I'd say it's just none of your business. And, uh, uh, but I sinned a lot, okay, since I gave my heart to Christ. Were, those were failures and failures of promises that I made to God. God, you forgive me this one last time. I, I promise you I won't do it again until tomorrow or the next week. Oh, my God. And so I really struggled in that area uh, to start with. And, and then there is failure that is what we would call sinless. You failed a class, all right? Uh, maybe you didn't study, and that was a sin, but you failed a class. So we wouldn't put that in the sin category. Or you had a business that unfortunately failed, we wouldn't put that in the sin category. So there's the failure in the sin compartment, and then there's the failure in uh, other areas of our life. And we'll touch on those in just a moment. Uh, there are behavioral failures, moral failures, um, breaking promise failures. Uh, I failed as a teacher. I graduated and was going, my first semester job was teaching and being a youth pastor. Uh, teaching was too hard, all right? I went back to my call, which was ministry, so I have great appreciation for all of you teachers out there. Uh, maybe you failed in a marriage, or maybe it was two marriages, or three or four. Let me just tell you something right now. If you've been walking around with feeling like stamped on your forehead as damaged goods, you stop that, you lift your head, you smile, and you act like the queen or king that God calls you to be, all right? So there is nothing to hold your head down about, all right? Now, if you're married, don't get one, all right? So I'll let me throw that one in there, all right? Uh, whatever your failure was. So let's talk a minute about those, what we would call sinless failures. Thomas Edison, how many of you know who he is? I would hope most of you. Thomas Edison, the one that it's said, questionable whether he actually created or invented the light bulb, but the filament that caused it to work. Uh, it was said that about 999 times he tried to find a material or an element to put in there that would work and light up the light bulb. And uh, 999 times, people said he failed. But on about the thousandth time, he was successful 
in finding the right material, and it worked. Uh, and so it started, of course, um, the, uh, what we have today as a result of that very first invention and that very first try. And some people said he failed 999 times, but he, he'd hit it on the thousandth time. Edison would have said, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't fail one single time because every time I use something that didn't work, I learned something, and that is not failure. That's success. So he said, I have never failed in all the inventions that he was credited with inventing. Abraham Lincoln, famous president in the history of this country, do you realize he ran for office some seven times and was not elected? He was a couple times during that tenure, but seven different times he ran for office and failed to get elected. And after the seventh time, he was elected president of the United States. I guess they figured, hey, the guy's going to keep on. Let's just give him something, all right? So he became the president, and I believe that was God ordained. All right. He was the one that is credited with saying this, success is going from failure to failure, in this case, seven times, success is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. I really like that. That's starting a business, failing, starting another one, starting another one with enthusiasm until something works. Uh, Fanny Crosby, any of you know Fanny Crosby? All right, a few of you raising your hand. All right, when this woman was a little toddler. Uh, she had an eye infection. The normal doctor in this rural area was gone, and they brought in uh, a country doctor who was an upstart, and he came into the home, saw that the child had an infection in the eyes, put together some components that the mother questioned and was concerned about, but like too many of us, just accept. Um, what people do without checking. And so she let him do it, put it on the baby's eyes, and the child went blind as a result of that. Well, it got out in the community, of course. The doctor felt like a failure. He was embarrassed. There was guilt, shame, people, no doubt. So look at him. And so as a result of that, what did he do? He left town and never probably found out what happened with the rest of the story. This little girl, her dad died uh, shortly thereafter, and her grandmother and her mother raised her. Her grandmother would read her the Bible, just spend time, lots and lots of time, reading her the Bible. And amazingly, this little girl could retain knowledge that she was hearing and, uh, of course, not seeing. And even at an age of like five years of age, she could quote chapters in the Bible just from hearing it read. And then she was so prolific at poetry and would speak poetry to different kids in different situations, family gatherings. And she got into the School of the Blind of New York and uh, advanced there and became really, really, really just an exceptional student. And then eventually she came to Christ. She had a personal relationship with Christ, got married to another guy that was blind. And uh, at the age of 40, Fanny Crosby started, well, she had already been, but from the age of 40 to the day she died, she composed some 10 
thousand hymns uh, in uh, her mind as God gave them to her. Hymns like, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Hymns like, he hideth my soul. That's one of my favorite. I am thine, O Lord. Uh, rescue the perishing. And so this woman lived to the day where she thought, I am so thankful that that doctor failed to heal my eyes because God has used me tremendously as a result of that failure or what was perceived as a failure. He would have been run out of town today and, and uh, gone to court. But, but this woman came to a place where I am thankful that happened. She's the first woman that ever spoke before the Congress of the United States. Uh, this was back in the 1800s. Uh, what an incredible person that God turned around. Romans 8, 28, I'm telling you, Romans 8, 28 works. Amen? Well, Abraham called of God. He failed more than once. Moses called of God. He failed, killed an innocent man. Nobody here, I hope, has killed an innocent man, but even if you have, God's not through with you yet, all right? So I'm just telling you, failure on whatever level, God wants you to dig it out by the Holy Spirit today out of your life and deal with it because he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. Say amen. When you fail to realize your vulnerability to failure, when you fail to realize it and are fail, you have failed to be conscious of, of it, your weakness, then you can become judgmental. You can have the attitude that, hey, I would never do that. Don't ever say that. I'm telling you right now, don't ever say it. My uncle he had two daughters. He said to me one time, he said, my girls are never going to bring some hippie home. Guess what they brought home? And so I'm just telling you, there's something about it. Don't ever say I would never do that because you're going to be tested, judged in the same way you judged, all right? So we don't become judgmental because of someone else's failure. Our attitude is I've failed too. I'm going to pray for them. God's going to restore them. Your attitude needs to be, by the grace of God, uh, I don't know how I got to this place, but years ago, I walked out of the old campus. Uh, I was a youth pastor at the time. The pastor there said to me, hey, I, want to, I need to tell you this, Pastor so-and-so, a very, very prominent pastor in this city, uh, I really like this guy. We played even racquetball together when I first came here. And uh, he had a moral failure. Now, I didn't walk away and say, you know, I suspected that all along. I'm not surprised. No, of course not. I walked away thinking, oh, my Lord. My Lord, God have mercy. There go I, but by the grace of God. That needs to be our attitude. My attitude that day was God. This is, a, this is a godly man. If he failed, oh God, I could fail. God, I don't want to fail. God, help me by your grace and mercy, Lord. And so that's the attitude we have to have. Your attitude is if you meet somebody with problems, your attitude needs to be, well, we all got problems, all right? So uh, that needs to be the way we come across, understanding that we also have this treasure in earthen vessels. Well, all of us have made mistakes 
at this point in my life, I am just amazed at the grace of God, the long-sufferingness of God. Uh, I wouldn't have picked me, all right? And uh, maybe you wouldn't have picked you to do what you're doing. But thank God we're not doing the picking God is, all right? So God picks us, God calls us, uh, God empowers us and picks us up when we fail. Now let's go to a character in the Bible. Boy, did he ever blow it. I mean, oh boy, if I could, if I wanted to be judgmental, I'd get a little bit right here. But Peter really, really blew it, all right? He was recognized during the three years that he walked with Christ and followed Christ. He was recognized kind of as the leader of the group. It looked like he was a little bit older and, and he was outspoken and zealous. And, and so he was kind of a natural one to assume, uh, what do you think, Peter? And he was always there. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, usually with him up on the mount. And on a couple of occasions, I don't know if it was because he just wanted to teach them something on another level or because he couldn't trust them back in the camp. I don't know what it was. But Peter, Peter finds himself on the night of the Last Supper. He finds himself there with the disciples. Judas is still there. Christ is there. And you know the story and what happened. And uh, Jesus washed their feet. It was Peter that said, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, if I'm not going to wash your feet, you're not going to be part of my kingdom. Well, wash my whole body then, all right? So he's just a, I mean, he was something else. But then it came to the point where Jesus said, all of you are going to be scattered tonight because of me. They were astounded. They were shocked. They had followed this man for three years. And all of them said, we would never do that. We would never forsake you. Peter. Now, his words are more like, Jesus, look, uh, I can understand why all these might fail you, but I will not fail you. And literally, the, the verbiage is that. The implication is he thinks that the rest of them could bomb out, but not him. And Jesus said, Peter, said, Peter, let me tell you this, Peter, since you just said what you said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. <laughs> well, Peter didn't let that one go. He was, I mean, it was like him and Jesus got into an argument. And uh, Peter says, I'll tell you, and the verbiage is so strong there. He's like, I'll tell you, I will go to prison even to death. I will not deny you. Whoa. Jesus changed the subject and went on with something else. A little bit later, a few hours actually later, you know what happened. He steps out there on like the patio. Jesus is inside in a false trial going on of accusation. And Peter realizes they're going to kill him. And he's outside and a little maid looks at him and says, weren't you one of those and he's absolutely not. In the flash of a moment of emotion, no. Ask again, no. Ask the third time with a cursing coming out of his mouth. He denies Christ just a few hours after he said he would go to prison or to death. And at that moment, at that moment, Jesus turns and he looks at him. And Peter burst out 
tears, rushes off that patio into the dark, crying profusely, realizing at that moment, my God, I, who days earlier said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, I have denied him. I just said before all the disciples, I would not leave him. I would go to prison. I would go to death. I have blown it in a magnitude. How could I ever, ever, ever again see Jesus after this? Peter really, really, truly blew it. Well, let me put it into August 2020. <laughs> Hopefully, you'll relate to this story. Sometimes we read the Bible, we just read over parts of great human emotion. Uh, let me put it to you like this. I don't know why we always use Walmart, but you're a couple, all right? Now, those of you that are married out there, you're um, in another week or so, uh, you go to Walmart, and uh, you both go in, you're chatting a little bit. Your wife says, I'm going to the grocery to buy some groceries, and you're looking at... Um, you're looking at watches, and, and this very, very attractive woman comes walking up to you and says, Sir, can, can you help me? And, you know, and you're saying, Sure, I'll, I'll help you. And, and then uh, she says, Was that your wife you were talking to earlier? No, that's just some woman we were talking coming in. Uh, no, I don't really know who she is, but anyway. And so, you know, he's just so infatuated and. Uh, and she finds what she wants and leaves. And the wife comes back and she says, hey, I saw you talking to that woman. Who was it? Oh, just some woman. And about that time, around the corner comes this woman. And she says, thank you for helping me. Oh, I thought you said this wasn't your wife. And walks off. Now, at that point, I know what all you ladies are going to say. I already know. You're going to say, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. That's, that's what Jesus said to someone that had just sinned. So that's what you will say, I'm sure. First of all, I'm sure it's not. All right, so anyway. So let's go to the other side. And, and uh, you and your wife get up. You get into a big argument on Saturday morning. I don't, it's really not about a big deal, but you just decide to get into it. Both of you. Just like maybe every marriage couple has. And you go to Walmart too. Walk in the door, you're mad at each other. One of you goes one way, one the other. And the wife all of a sudden looks down and sees you and the security has got you. They think you're stealing something. You accidentally put something in your coat pocket. They've got handcuffs on you, and, and you say, honey, honey, I, I don't know who you are. I don't. <laughs> Somebody says, is that your husband? No, I don't. That guy's a thief. And uh, later, he said, why did you not tell them who I was? Oh, well, just at the moment. You would be in for counseling, both of you, probably uh, within short order. Well, let's see what happened to Peter. Because Peter, his denial was in one sense, it tops what I just told you. John chapter 21, verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. 
This is the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples. He's already sought them out. Peter and some of the other disciples are on boats out in the water. They've been fishing. And um, Jesus calls to them. Someone said, hey, hey, that's Jesus. Now, let me tell you. Peter did something. He, he wrapped himself and jumped in the water. And you think, oh, he's swimming to the shore. But another scripture says when he got to the shore, he helped him pull the nets in. When I read that, I was like, maybe it's so, because he's so uncomfortable, run, instead of running to Jesus, Jesus, we need to talk. No, maybe it's because he's so uncomfortable that he's, now he's pulling nets and he's doing works. Some people... They avoid uh, the relationship. They get involved in works and, and trying to please the one that, um, that they love but can't bring themselves to engage. And maybe sitting around, this is what happened. Sitting around in John 21, 20, or verse 12, when he said, come and eat breakfast. Um, can you imagine what Peter must have been thinking? I, I can almost guarantee you. See, because there's no indication Jesus and Peter had talked about that night. They hadn't talked. Just like maybe some of you in the building, you've had a failure and you haven't talked. And it's there like it was on Peter. You need to talk, but you just can't bring yourself because you're thinking you're a loser just like Peter thought he was. Peter is thinking, I'm such a loser. Look at these guys. They're, they, they're probably thinking, oh, Peter must be a little uncomfortable. Peter is sitting there thinking, why did I do that that night? Why did I, why did I say what I said? Why did I deny him? What caused me to do that? I'm such a loser. He could hardly lift his head, I believe. He wasn't smiling, eating breakfast. I don't believe that at all. I think he was just taking a couple bites, thinking, oh. he was feeling, yes, shame, guilt. He was feeling diminished, self-loathing. I'm so stupid. You ever said that about yourself? I'm so stupid. He denied he knew Jesus, and that was a big deal. John 21, 15 says, and when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, Jonah, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? I think there's an application there to what Christ, or Peter said about the others denying him, but him not, very possibly. But the most important thing is this. Jesus didn't do it there at breakfast. The implication, Jesus took Peter off and they we're walking along, first conversation about, you know, since. They look back, and John was following them, and Peter is there, and no doubt still, his heart sunk over his failure. And Jesus says, I want to talk to you about that failure. Let's go back to that night, Peter. No, that's not what he did. He didn't go back to that night. You've been going back to. He didn't go back to that day. You've been going back to. He didn't go back to that moment. You've been going back to. And he didn't with Peter either. He said, Peter, do you love me? 
Do you love me, Peter? And Peter knew he loved him, even though he was probably thinking, how could I love him when I did what I did? But he still knew in his heart he loved him. And then he asked him again, Peter, do you love me? And then the third time comes, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said something. He said, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. Boy, when I read that, I was like, God, you, you see the love in our heart for you, even though it's seemingly just so diminished as a result of our failure, but you see that we still love you. He wanted Peter to focus on that love. He did not want him to focus on that night. He wants you to focus on your love for him, not on what happened last week or the week before or 20 years ago. He wants you to focus on his love for you. That's what he wants you to focus on because he says then to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, I got a plan for you. You Get back in the game, Peter. I've got things for you to do. I knew you were going to fail before I called you, but I called you anyway. Let's go to the video. And boy, I couldn't believe, boy, what they shared. This is right along what we were talking about. I was born into a family of inconsistency. My dad was always in and out of jail, so my mom was basically the, the center point of my family. I gave my life to Christ like at the age of 13, and we just got caught up, and I got caught up in the routine of going to church instead of developing a relationship with God for myself, and that, that extended all the way up into the point that I, I turned 18 years old. I completely fell out of church, and I fell into everything that um, my mom taught me that was wrong. And so I was defining my life by these um, temporary aspects of satisfaction. I grew up in a non-Christian single parent household and my family did not know God or live godly lifestyles whatsoever. So when I was 18, I had a pretty dramatic life experience and I called a friend. She prayed with me for the first time and ended up inviting me here to Faith Assembly. I came that Wednesday night, I remember crying the entire service, and then I went to the altar and I gave my life to God. My life just completely flipped around, and I remember realizing that God was calling me to full-time ministry, but I had like zero idea what that meant or what that looked like. In the first voice conference um, was called Loud, and that's when I met this beautiful girl from that night. We, we started dating. We both, we both established that we wanted to do internship with the church. Um, and so we began to enter a relationship with one another and enter internship with one another. Looking back now, hindsight is 2020, and I can really see that we didn't really set up the appropriate guidelines, which I wish we would have done. We slipped up and we had sexual intercourse, um, and we felt horrible. We repented, but it continued to happen because we never put up those roadblocks, we never put up those, those boundaries in our lives. We did what most Christians would probably do. We prayed and we repented and we started fasting and we really wanted to just get on the right path. 
Uh, and about a month later, we found out that we were pregnant. And it was very traumatic and very um, heartbreaking for me personally, just because I kind of hit this point where I realized that God had changed my life so much and he had transformed me in so many ways. And I knew that he was calling me to ministry, but I felt like I had just blown it and that I wasn't going to be able to come back from where I was. We talked to one another and I was like, man, we have to, if we're gonna to continue to, to pursue ministry and, um, and own up to what we did, we have to go tell our, the heads of our, our ministry. I remember walking into the office and feeling so shamed. I felt like the condemnation was just very overwhelming and I felt so dirty and I felt um, embarrassed. And I remember like the pastors looking at us and just telling us that our call was irrevocable and that God knew um, when he called us to ministry that this would happen and he still chose us, which was really something I think that we both needed to hear because we had just thought that it was over, like our, our future in ministry was over. And I wish that I could say that from that moment we left and we were like, oh wow, we're still called. Um, but it was still a really tough journey after that. I had to walk around with that physical representation of what sin looked like. And there were a lot of times where I didn't want to come to church, but we ended up getting engaged and eventually we got married. Um, and then a few months later, we had our daughter. Her name is Brooklyn Kelly, and she's probably the greatest thing to ever walk this earth. I remember thinking about our future and how I would eventually have to tell her the story of how she came to be. And I would have to tell her about internship and I would have to tell her uh, about our call to ministry. And I remember thinking that I didn't want that to be the end of the story. Like I wanted to be able to tell her how we pushed through and that we kept fighting and that we ended up making it. <laughs> so I love being with my parents at church and I love having service and I'm five years old. <laughs> I remember when Savannah was pregnant with Brooklyn and we just began to pray over Brooklyn and, and Savannah's womb. And just to see her now, it's like all of our prayers were answered. And just to see her growing up and, and watching us serve God is trickling down, you know? And legacies are being born and, uh, and solidified. So thank you, God. We didn't think that ministry was gonna be an option for us. We didn't think that like our call, yeah, our calling was just gone. Um, but the comeback journey that God has brought us on has been really awesome. And I think that we've learned so much about each other, about ourselves, and most importantly, about God and how much He loves us. Praise God, this couple is going toward ministry still. Praise God. I, um, I don't know who the pastor was that talked to them, but I'm so glad they shared what they shared because no doubt they... They understand, they failed too. And to give life to this couple coming in that were ashamed is exactly what Christ did to Peter. Peter, get back in the game. I need you. And a short time later, he stood before thousands and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 3,000 people came to Christ as a result of that preaching that day. Well, let's go to the quickly and stay with me. We're almost there. Let's go quickly to the woman that was caught in adultery. Think about it. Surrounded by a bunch of judgmental men uh, that 
were wanting to see what Jesus would say. And Jesus stoops down, as you know. The woman is crying. She's broken. She's embarrassed. She's humiliated. She's wishing a thousand times over she had not just done what she did. And at that moment, Jesus said, okay, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And all of a sudden, all of those men started thinking about all their sins and failures and realized they weren't qualified to cast the first stone and walked away. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. This is important. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. That's the challenge. You say, well, pastor, I sinned again. Then get back up. Let God brush you off and go and sin no more. All right? So we don't stop there. When I was in college, I, I didn't know very much when I first got there. And I started hearing people talk about, you need to be in the will of God. I didn't know what God's will for me was. Then I'd hear a preacher say, you got to be, it's not enough to be in the will of God. You got to be in the perfect will of God. And I'm like, oh, dear Lord, I don't even know what the will is, much less the perfect will. And I was very confused in this traumatic back and forth. Where, where, God? Where, what? Sat in the back of a class one morning, almost to the very far back, Professor stands up and says something profound. He said, I'll tell you something that's more important than being in the perfect will of God. I'm like, what could be more important? He said, to be willing to be in the perfect will of God. Now, I didn't know if I was in the will, didn't know if I was in the perfect will, but I could answer this. I could answer the question, am I willing? And the answer was yes. I was willing. There's something more important than your failure. It's whether you love God or not. You may not know why you did that, which you did. You may not even know how to get out of it, but you do know something. You do know you still love God. And you know something more important. He still loves you. Bow your heads with us, please, all over this building. Father, thank you. There's a way back from failure. God, have mercy on all of us. God, thank you for your keeping power. Thank you, Lord God, that you've got a purpose and a plan for every one of our lives, and you don't want us to spend the rest of our life trying to figure out our failures and the reasons and all the... Lord, we can get counseling, yes. Confess our faults one to another and we'll be healed, yes. But God, you got a plan for us. You want us on our feet, moving forward for the purposes of God. And Lord, there are those in this building that are not born again. There are those that are here that once walked with you but have drifted so far away. Holy Spirit of God, move upon every person here that needs to surrender anew. And Lord, for those sitting at home, 
God, for that one sitting there with maybe family members that you were called to into the room to watch the service, and you're sitting there, and your family may know Christ, but you know you don't. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Today is the day of salvation, Christ said. Today is your day. Let it be today. Say yes to Christ. Here in the auditorium, if you need God's forgiveness, you need to get right with him. I want you right now so I can pray with you. And, and you're, this is going to, something's going to happen in your own life as you respond. I want you right now just to lift your hand. You need Christ. You need to come back to God. Lift your hand. God bless others quickly. God bless. God bless you folks and you and you and you others on this, my right side. God bless you in the back. Anyone else? Anyone else? Just lift your hand high. Anyone else? God bless you. Now, please, don't, um, don't slip out yet, please, because that may hinder someone, and this is so important. This moment is so important. But first of all, I, I just want to lead you in a prayer of repentance. For those of you online, like I said, if you're sitting there, you, you need to embrace Christ with all your heart. We're living in the end time. Did you, re you realize that? Surely. So let's pray. Across this building, several of you raised your hand. Right now, pray this prayer after me, please. Dear Lord Jesus, Dear Lord Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your forgiveness. Of all my sins. Of all my sins. I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to come into my life. Change me, Lord. Change me, Lord. I surrender to you. I surrender to you. And I thank you. And I thank you. For giving me new life. For giving me new life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For forgiving my sins. For forgiving my sins. Amen, 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 amen. Now listen, for every one of you online and here in the building, maybe even out in the atrium, you see the screen in front of you. Why don't you right now, listen, you know what's happening in heaven if this is your first time to come to Christ? Your name is being written down in the book of life in heaven. Why don't you get it recorded down here, all right? So why don't you take your phone and just text SAVED to that number, all right? Just text SAVED to that number. And uh, they'll respond and give you direction uh, on what to do and how to go forward from here. But you need to get baptized in water. Uh, you need to sign up for that. You need to get a Bible if you don't have one. You need to start reading it. You need to start praying and, and just building this wonderful, awesome relationship with Christ. You'll never regret this decision to say yes to God. So follow that number. Stand with us, please. Everyone all over the building. We're not quite there yet, so stay with us. Please, thank you so very much. Listen, we're not going to dismiss this service without opening these altars. And if you're here and you just want to you just want to come to an altar area and pray, there's an altar over here. There's an altar on this side. And if you just want to pray by yourself and, and talk to the Lord, come and kneel at one of these altars. But 
There are going to be people down here. They love God. They love you. They will pray with passion and faith over your life. So if you need somebody to pray for you, there are people that are going to be here to do just that. And those of you that said yes to God, what, what better follow-up to just consider coming to this altar area and having one of them pray with you individually before you walk out this door and maybe uh, have the opportunity. They can answer some few questions you may have. So why don't you come right now as Pastor John leads us, then he's going to close out in prayer. So don't wait. Don't put it off. Why don't you slip to the aisle right now? Why don't you make your way here? Let's pray before you leave this building. God, we thank you today for those that are putting their trust in you even right now, Lord God. There are those that are coming to these altars knowing that you are their source, that there are those that are saying that you, Lord God, are, are their supply, that there is no one that can do what you can do in their lives. And God, we are all joining together, reaffirming that fact, God, that there is no one that has been as good and as loving and as powerful in our lives as you. And so God, with our brothers and sisters that are on at these altars, with our brothers and sisters that are watching over this broadcast, right, even right now, Lord God, we reaffirm our trust and faith in you and you alone. I pray God that when we leave this place, that we wouldn't leave your presence, but that you'd continue to guide and help and minister to and, and bring peace and joy and love, Lord God, into the lives of those that are putting their trust in you. And Father, I pray that you would protect these, your people, that you would cover them, Lord God. And I pray that as we go and navigate the rest of this week, that we would see you moving on our behalf and give you glory, honor, and praise for it. We love you, we honor you, and we bless you and thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you, church. We want you to know that these altars are still open. There are people here to pray with you. Also, if you're watching online and you'd like somebody to pray with you, why don't you call the number that's on your screen? We've got a team that's here to minister. They would love to pray with you and your family. Kidsway is also coming with ministry for you and your kids in just a few moments. God bless you all, and we hope to see you again very soon.